Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Today we have another exciting guest, a woman named Michelle, and she's going to talk to us about her organization, RCV. It's lovely to be on with you. Um, yes, my name is Michelle Whitaker. I am the statewide coordinator for Ranked Choice Voting Maryland. We are a grassroots coalition um, working across the state to uh, help inform voters and residents of Maryland about new and better voting methods that are available or for them to use and adopt in their local elections, and maybe even one day to use for statewide and presidential elections. We're, we're residents um, who are just concerned about making sure that our voices are heard, and especially when we have so many great candidates running for local office as well as um, higher offices, we want to make sure that um, the voice of our electorate is what guides um, our elections and the, the leaders that are chosen. Sounds excellent. So kindly tell us how you became coordinator of RCB Maryland. What was the life path that led you there? Yes. So I uh, previously worked as a staff member at Fair Vote, which is an, a, nat- a national organization focusing on electoral reform, particularly ranked choice voting, but also on the Fair Representation Act, so how we uh, implement a fair representation voting methods for um, uh, con- congressional elections and other um, offices. So I worked there as their communications director, and they're based in Montgomery County, Maryland, in Tacoma Park, where Tacoma Park has been using ranked choice voting um, since uh, the or mid-2000s, 2007 or so. So I, after I left uh, Fair Vote to work on some other organizing efforts, I still stayed very engaged with um, the work of organizing on ranked choice voting. And in 2018, there was particular momentum around um, making sure voices were heard in our local elections. I live in Montgomery County, and in 2018, we had uh, elections for our our county council uh, where we had a number of great candidates who were running for district seats as well as at-large seats. But it was a little overwhelming. In some of the districts, we had uh, like seven to ten candidates running. In our at-large contest, we had 33 candidates running for the four open uh, Democratic nomination seats uh, on the Democratic side. And so, obviously, like we, uh, I always embrace the opportunity for um, candidates, anyone who wants to run for office, that they should be able to have the opportunity to run for office, make their case to to the electorate. Um, to tell people about what issues matter. Um, but we also need to make sure that voters have the ability to really express their choices. And when you have races with more than two candidates running, it becomes very challenging because obviously there's a lot of folks on the ballot. Um, you want to make sure that your the intention and you, what you really want to see happen in terms of who's leading you in those positions is really reflected in the vote. And in many of those races, we saw winners win with a fraction of the vote, you know, 28% or, um, you know, as low as like 7 or 8% of the vote share. And so we want to just make sure that whether you're doing, you're electing a single person to office or you're electing multiple people to serve in like an at-large position, that you're using um, voting methods that create fair representation, avoid split votes, 
and really give every voter the opportunity to fully express who they want to see in elected office. That's a lot of good stuff. So what do you do in your position as a coordinator? How would you describe the role to someone who may be thinking, I see a nonprofit or a political organization that has a coordinator position like yours. What would they be looking to get into if they were going for that job? That's a great question. And I would just say, Rankford Voting Maryland, we're a volunteer, primarily volunteer-based organization. I um, have been fortunate enough that we've um, gotten some small grants to assist with both supplementing my income doing some work here and to pay for some of our outreach opportunities that we do um, either statewide or within specific jurisdictions. And so depending on your, your locality, there may be more um, full-time paid positions or it could be a hybrid of a volunteer only or volunteer and some paid opportunities. But my work really is centered around building relationships and having conversations. I meet with elected officials. I meet with folks who are interested in voting reforms, and I talk to them about what we're doing here and why I got involved. I also share information about what opportunities are coming out at the uh, local level or the state level for them to get involved. And I really ask people to, if they're interested and they're, uh, they have a passion for this, to figure out ways that they can help volunteer their time and be part of our movement for change in Maryland. And that's really about it. Like, uh, there's, there's sometimes some meetings and obviously if I'm tracking legislation, uh, at the local or state level, then there's working, um, with other partners that we have to know like what legislation, what the, what the legislative process is and to help you know, encourage testimony that happens on those bills um, and to and, and have conversations. We're lucky in Maryland that we have some great partners who've been part of our coalition, including um, uh, Common Cause Maryland, the League of Women Voters. Um, uh, we've had uh, we have members of the the Democratic Party, the Libertarian Party, and the Green Party who are all part of our coalition and engaging their members, but also helping uh, when we do legislative actions to mobilize folks in support. And so my work is centered around just keeping all of the coalition members informed about, about what's happening and, you know, creating opportunities for volunteers or others to get involved uh, at a local level. Sounds excellent. It sounds like a lot of good coalitions. you got almost everyone involved in the coalition. That's great. Mm-hmm. So for our audience, most of them have probably heard of ranked choice voting, and many of them are familiar with it since that's the key reform that they're pushing for. In case somebody out there has never heard of RCV, can you explain in a nutshell what it entails, a brief summary? Yes. So ranked choice voting is the ability for you to rank your options on the ballot. So your first choice, your second choice, your third choice, and so on, on a ballot. Um, what happens is that all of those votes are tallied. Your first choice is uh, first choices are tallied, and if someone has a majority of the vote, they win. Just in like uh, our elections happen in many places now. But if no one wins with a majority or no one has a majority, then what happens is you look at the candidate that's in last place, and a instant runoff kicks off. And so that last place candidate, they're eliminated in the round by round. But the voters who voted for that candidate as their first choice now have their second choice counted. Um, and you continue to do that until you have one candidate 
who wins with a majority of the vote. That's how the basic structure of it and how it works with doing a single winner election. Um, it is a, the similar property uh, process is followed when you're doing multi-winner elections, um, although there's an additional aspect of creating um, a fair representation in the process of counting. But it's all about having your choices counted. Um, it's always still maintains the one vote, um, one person, one vote principle, um, but it gives voters that option to make sure that they have their full uh, expression of who they want to see in office uh, recorded and, and um, counted in the balloting process. So what are some of the arguments that people put against RCV and how would you counter them? Yeah, so this is, this comes up in conversations and, and some, uh, some folks are like, well, ranked choice voting isn't really used that often. But we see more and more jurisdictions across the United States taking up ranked choice voting, um, for their local elections and we see it working. Um, some of the most newest jurisdictions to use it, like Salt Lake City, Utah, was, they were able to uh, elect one of their most diverse, uh, city councils using ranked choice voting for the first time. We have places like Maine um, where Portland has been using it for a number of years for their local elections and then most recently in 2016 the state adopted it for statewide elections and we've seen the growth in terms of uh, the the ability for people to campaign together in civil, in civil ways and for you to elect candidates who truly represent the electorate. Other questions that we often get are around, like, how how easy it is for voters to use it. Will they be able to understand what happens on the ballot? And one of the things that I say often to people is that, you know, in Maryland in particular, we have – there's usually at least three different ways that you're voting on the ballot. You might be voting for one candidate for a governor, voting for three candidates for uh, a board of elections, maybe a yes or no uh, up or down vote on a, a charter amendment or something like that. And voters are able to handle this. And this is just an additional option for voters in a particular election. And it doesn't throw people off from uh, making those choices. And when we look at uh, jurisdictions that have adopted ranked choice voting, like New York, where that was a concern about like how easy would voters use it, we saw overwhelmingly uh, close to I think 80% of the folks who were um, ranking more than two choices on their ballot, and overwhelmingly in exit polls, voters saying that it was easy for them to be able to to use the ballot. So those are kind of the main things. But we what we just really encourage people to do is to to try it out and see it, and we have. We do demonstrations with folks all the time to talk about the process as well as um, work closely with, um, you know, uh, other election administration uh, uh, officials or uh, can, um, uh, election leaders, elected leaders to talk about, like, what the options are and what they're seeing in other jurisdictions so that they can understand it better. That's a lot of good stuff. I have not heard of that one argument that you presented before, so that's a good one where you're talking about in the different in, in, in individual ballots, even, even when there's not ranked choice voting, people are doing different ways to vote, and they understand. So that's a very good persuasive argument. Thanks. I, I share that with folks often because I think people, there's a perception about 
how we vote or what a ballot looks like, that it's just uniform and there's just one way that people do it. And really, that's not the way it is. That's why we have groups like the League of Women Voters or other groups who do voter education, really a, a lot of good voter education because there are different things on the ballot and different information that they need to be aware of to be able to vote. Whether you're talking about how do you vote by mail or in person, or you're talking about like what's the specific way that a, a contest is voted on, those are important things to know and understand the difference. But what we've seen is that voters understand it and they can they can make the switch between voting for one to vote for three to vote yes or no on um on a ballot when you give them the instructions and the information that they need and that's why groups like uh, california and um, minneapolis who they have many jurisdictions that have been using ranked choice voting they've come out with some really great voter education tools specific to ranked choice voting um, that really has helped increase uh, voter understanding, but get people prepared for the ballot. And it's tools that both uh, in general are used to educate voters, but campaigns embrace to also help uh, educate their supporters when they're getting ready for the election. And we saw that same thing happen in New York. We saw lots of educational groups were helping to support um, ranked choice voting and making sure that edu- that voters were aware of like how to how the ranked choice voting ballot worked. And we saw candidates embrace it and do trainings and help to really talk about the issues and talk about where there were similarities with other candidates. And that's one of the key benefits that I really love about ranked choice voting is the fact that it really encourages that civil conversation to happen. And for candidates to say to to a voter is like, you might consider this other candidate as your top choice because you like this, but I hope you'll consider me as your second choice because I align on this and here's uh, the other things that I can do and will support you if I was elected to office. That's a different way to talk about elections than we see oftentimes with the polarized conversations and attacks, personal attacks that happen. And many times that deters people from wanting to participate as a candidate in elections because they don't want to be part of a negative campaign. And one of the things that we've seen is that where ranked choice voting is used, we've seen more women, more people of color, both run and also get elected. And I think it's part of those side benefits, that that ability to have more civil conversations, the ability to know that you can talk to the more just straight about the issues and it's not the personal attacks that are going to win, that really encourages different types of candidates to come out and run for office. And we need more of that today, more than ever. (laughs) Yes, indeed. One argument I've heard people give against RCV would pertain to that 33-person race you were talking about. Some people are going to say that's going to make things too unwieldy to have ranked choice voting for 33 people that's going to overwhelm the circuits of the voters. So how would you respond to that? Yeah, um, the simple answer is that we often, there's great studies about the usability of ballot and what you, how you structure the ballot. And as someone who participated in that election, who was a voter in the election with 33 candidates, the way that we were structured was was a little overwhelming to see all of that, just all the names. But what you do is you structure how you want the input from the voters. And there's great uh, nonpartisan groups uh, that have done usability studies and provided really good guidance on how you structure the ballot 
in these elections, but they also do it for other types of uh, elections and ballot design to really make sure that you maximize the ability for a voter to participate. Um, one example is uh, in Minneapolis where in one of their mayoral races, they had similarly 30-plus candidates running for uh, mayor. Um, I think in their particular case, they limited the rankings to, like, uh, I think no more than three rankings in the ballot design. Um, I think some of the recommendations that we've seen from ballot design uh, organizations is that you can do up to eight rankings where that is doable for any um, uh, for any voter to do and to really express their choices and where they're kind of reasonably like that they tap out. Um, so, so those are kind of the things like you follow good ballot design, you follow good design about how you relate information, and you can address those sort of issues. And um, that's what we've. There's lots of good resources now that help to ensure that you have strong ballot design, that you can really easily communicate what's happening um, for the voter and uh, give them clear instructions. And some groups that do that include the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, which is a nonpartisan organization that provides that input for uh, election administrators in particular about how they're in implementing Ranked Choice Voting um, for elections. Sounds good. I was on your website and I saw that there were a number of Maryland cities that have implemented it. I was looking through that. So kindly tell our audience which Maryland cities and or counties have implemented this ranked choice voting. So right now the, the only city that is using ranked choice voting in their local elections is Tacoma Park, Maryland. Shout out okay. to Tacoma Park that's done a great job of both uh, educating their voters and getting um, and having really great turnout and folks who are participating in their elections um, consistently there. Um, other There's other cities that have looked at it, both in Montgomery County and uh, all parts of the, the state, um, that are exploring options that in terms of changing their uh, charter commission uh, to allow for a ranked choice or a ranked ballot. So there's there's folks that are exploring it. There's um, we we don't have any um, states that uh, additional cities that have it. And then okay. Montgomery County, which is the largest uh, county in Maryland, um, we do have the support of the entire county council, um, who and the uh, Montgomery County House delegation, who supported bills to enable ranked choice voting or approval voting. And we have a bill before the um, general assembly right now on that. And so the, really for any other jurisdiction for a county to be able to use it, they have to get uh, this enabling legislation through the state. So that's the next hurdle that we're really working on with uh, local leaders and um, other officials across the state to really help move forward and give the opportunity for Montgomery County and any other jurisdiction that's interested, the opportunity to uh, further explore and then implement a, a voting method of their choice. I've heard different ways that people want to implement this. Some want to do it at a local level first, and then others want to go more top-down. So how would you describe the best way to implement RCV? You talked about that some recently. So how would you, could you elaborate on how the best way to implement RBC, RCV at, for a state or for a nation? Yeah, I, I won't say that there is a single best way, but I will say that um, what we've seen in other locations is that there often folks want to see, test it out and see how it works. And so they want to see, like, how does the city use it? How does a, a, a jurisdiction, a county, um, or other 
jurisdiction use it. And so that's where we've seen, like, Tacoma Park, if we talk about Maryland, use it. If we look at uh, cities in the Bay Area, you know, I think San Francisco was the first to adopt it, and then other cities like Oakland um, adopted it, and other Bay Area cities have also adopted it. So it's something where it grows out of kind of local interest and really being able to test it and use you know, our, the opportunity for us to show, like, how it, the interest can increase from there. If we look at Maine, that's a great example of it was first used in Portland. And then um, from out of Portland, there was a lot of interest um, for using it more statewide. And a coalition uh, that included both independents, Republicans, and Democrats formed to help move that forward and move forward statewide adoption. They had a particular process where they had to go through petitions to get that adopted at the statewide. Um, other uh, states or jurisdictions may have different processes. Maybe it goes more mostly through the legislature or there is more of a citizen referendum or citizen petition that happens. It really, one of the key things that when I talk to folks about how to bring ranked choice voting to their um, city or, or jurisdiction is we have to understand the local laws that apply and how it would happen. And so we, we do some research on that and understand the different options. And from there, we can build out a strategy that really um, brings the voices of residents together to help support that measure. And so that's really, there's not a single way, but the most important thing is to make sure that you do research about what uh, what are the viable options for implementing a new uh, voting method? Understand that and also bring, build support and bring the, you know, build up your movement. That's what we've seen in Massachusetts, in Maine, in Minneapolis, and in California, and also what we're doing here in Maryland. I've heard you mention you've had coalitions from all the different groups, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, as well as alternative parties. Often the way alternative parties perceive ranked choice voting is it's a solution to the two-party system, the way they're dominating things, and oftentimes we perceive the two-party system as being opposed to ranked choice voting. So can you kindly explain how you persuade them and how they feel they're benefiting by implementing ranked choice voting since they're in the, they have the power of the two parties? So how do they feel they're benefiting from ranked choice voting? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I and I would say that I, I think um, it's talking to, to legislators and, and having, you know, really good one-on-one -on -one conversations about, like, what are what does democracy mean and what does it mean to ha give everybody equal voice? In Montgomery County, I'll use this as an example, the individuals, the legislators who are bringing forward this legislation, they're Democrats. And um, that's because we have a democratically controlled General Assembly. We have a democratic majority controlled um, county council. And so really, like, we have to talk within those power structures if we're going to move legislation. Um, but our conversation obviously doesn't end on party lines because we want to recognize the value that this, that this reform and choice voting isn't a party reform. It's not just something that helps one particular party. What it helps is voters to have the greatest uh, voice in their elections. And um, in the primary system, Maryland has a closed primary system, so you're really looking, we're, we're looking at implementing ranked choice voting where you use it in primary so Democratic voters or Republican voters can 
can fully express the choices for the nominations that they're making in the primary. But then when you extend it to the general election, you know, in my, in Maryland, we have, I think, close to 40, maybe 45 percent of the electorate that are unaffiliated voters. And then uh, an additional number, probably, I think it's 10 percent or so, that are um, uh, third-party registered voters. So uh, they're going to a process when they go to the general election that most of the candidates have been decided for them, and maybe there's an, an independent or a third-party candidate that, that is running, but sometimes they often feel like they don't have a strong enough voice, or they get pressure from Democrats or Republican uh, voters who are saying that if you if you vote for your preferred candidate, then you're actually helping to elect somebody else, or you're going to split the vote, all these sort of things that, that come out in the conversation. And really, ultimately, we should be giving voters and empowering voters the opportunity to just express who they truly believe should represent them. And that's where it can help both at the in the primary election and the general election. And with, with the uh, legislators who have introduced bills for um, enabling legislation in Maryland, but also in, in other jurisdi- jurisdictions that I've talked to, particularly D.C. is also looking at um, in a uh, a bill to introduce ranked choice voting called the Voice Act. The conversation is around making sure voters have uh, the greatest choice in in making in, in selecting their leaders. And we've talked to people who are in power or in the part or part of the party within power and they recognize that that's an ultimate goal if we're talking about democracy and having the fair representation that's a much higher goal than what some people might consider their their party goals of, of controlling power because in most cases if not all cases uh you still maintain like the there's a still sense that like democrats if they're if they're a majority they can still win elections this doesn't throw that off they can still win elections but this it does help everybody have a greater choice and for voters not to feel like they're they're just left out of the process and why they don't want to even vote at all. And so it gives everyone an opportunity to really be more part of the conversation. And truly, that's what we should be um, encouraging in in all of our elections. Um, so I'm hoping that we can have more conversations a lot about that and recognize that the opportunities that do exist within parties to use this to to better have better elections, but also just to uh, improve democracy as a whole. Sure. So for our audience out there, whether they live in Maryland or elsewhere, how can they support RCB Maryland? Thank you for asking that. Um, I hope that you will uh, visit our website, rcbmaryland.org, check out the activities that we have going on. If you have relatives, friends, or you live in Maryland, reach out to us and get involved. We have activities that are happening at a statewide level. We're also working to organize locally within cities and and counties um, to continue to build out our movement, and you can be part of that process. And so we'd love for that. And then you can also support us if you ever want to make a financial contribution to help those who are doing this part-time. It helps us to just, you know, provide for the operational and administrative work of the of maintaining the coalition. And so there you can look at our website for different ways that you can support us both uh, with your time, your talents, or with your dollars. So we appreciate all of that. But I, I always just encourage people, if you're interested in ranked choice voting, um, create an opportunity for people to get together, talk about it, do a demonstration, 
see what opportunities, because that's how we continue to build the movement to give more people a voice in their local elections. And that's really what we need to do. We have an opportunity for the power of people to really change what happens at a local level is within us if we come together and figure out how we organize. And so I want to, I want to help be part of that process in Maryland, and I hope uh, you will too. Wonderful. So what's the website address? rcvmaryland.org. Okay, that's easy to remember. <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> Michelle, thank you kindly for coming on the podcast and sharing all the exciting things the organization is doing, all the exciting potential that RCD has. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. We wish you all the best in your personal endeavors and also RCD Maryland as a whole. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye now. All right. Bye.